0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Welcome once again to the Audio Imaginarium. It is cold and scary out there, but you'll be safe and warm in here. And as uh, Morpheus explained to Nero in The Matrix, this is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. Welcome, my friends. A couple of items, housekeeping items, before we proceed further. First, a big hearty welcome to our new affiliate, 1300 A.M., in Beaumont, Texas, that's K-S-E-T, talk radio, 1300 a.m., Beaumont, Texas. Welcome aboard, and thanks so much for making The Conspiracy Show part of your radio family. Uh, one other item, uh, the passing of Nelson Mandela. Uh, obviously, uh, we, we have to comment on that. And uh, he, Nelson Mandela, I think, had greatness in him, but he was not the Messiah, Can I just put that out there for a moment, please? He was not the Messiah. No one with an ounce of humanity could argue that apartheid was evil and all those who supported apartheid were and are evil. And Nelson Mandela's struggle uh, against it and ultimately his triumph over this evil make him, I think, a truly remarkable human being in many respects. Uh, But one of my son's uh, teachers the other day, on the day of his passing, told the class... Listen to this. She told the class that Nelson Mandela went to prison for all of us. Does that sound sort of familiar? He went to prison for all of us. It sounds a little like Jesus dying on the cross for all of us, doesn't it? And uh, I have to say that this comparison is disturbing and concerning. Let's not forget Mandela's African National Congress was responsible for some pretty heinous crimes against humanity. Innocent civilians, including women and children, were murdered. And also those who struggled alongside the ANC, struggled against apartheid, but perhaps didn't share the ANC's Marxist ideology, were accused of being white collaborators. And then came a practice known as necklacing, later to be called the Winnie Mandela's necklace, in which enemies of the ANC, both black and white, were executed tortured, uh, carrying out, um, carried out of, uh, of their homes, and by force, forced to wear a rubber tire that was filled with, uh, with petrol, was placed around the victim's chest and their arms, and it was set on fire. And the victim may take up to 20 minutes to die, suffering severe burns in the process. And, of course, Nelson Mandela never personally advocated this, as far as I know. He certainly disavowed violence once he was released from prison. But that is part of the legacy. He also cozied up to people like Libyan uh, strongman Gaddafi, Castro of Cuba, a couple of individuals with pretty poor records when it comes to human rights. And while we're discussing Libya, let us not forget that Mandela traveled to Scotland to lobby for the release of the Libyan bomber convicted uh, in that Lockerbie air disaster, which killed hundreds of innocent civilians. And it should be understood that Mandela wasn't just a socialist, he was an avowed Marxist. And what has become of South Africa? It is now, unarguably, the murder capital of the world. A woman there is raped every 30 minutes. And of the 40,000 white farmers that remain, 3,000 of them, 3,000 out of 40,000 have been murdered in the last decade, disemboweled, drowned in boiling water, burned to death decapitated. Think of that. 3,000 out of 40,000 murdered. That's genocide. So yes, we should celebrate Mandela's achievements as South Africa's first black president. He formed a government of national unity in an attempt to diffuse racial tension. He promulgated a new constitution, created the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to investigate past human rights abuses, continuing the former government's liberal economic policy, his administration introduced measures to encourage land reforms, combat po- poverty, and expand health care and services. But let us not let us not be confused. He was not the Messiah. He was a deeply flawed man. And as Mandela himself said, I was not a Messiah, but an ordinary man who had become a leader because of extraordinary circumstances. Yes, a great man. But please, not the Messiah. Now, another man who has at times been compared to a messiah is the current occupant of the White House. Uh, Chris Matthews, a commentator on MSNBC recently, compared President Barack Obama to Pope Francis. Recently, however, a liberal law professor by the name of Jonathan Turley of Georgetown University was speaking before the U.S. Congress, and he had some pretty alarming things to say concerning the Constitution and presidential powers. He pretty much sounded the alarms that the concentration of of imperial power in the executive branch under President Obama poses a great danger not only to the Constitution, but also an unprecedented danger to the very republic itself. And again, this was not someone from the Tea Party like Rand Paul spouting off with a political axe to grind. This was a liberal, someone who would normally, you would expect to find firmly entrenched in Obama's fan club. And he's not the only one sounding these alarms, but the expansion of power in the executive branch and the slow, inexorable march towards totalitarianism. A good friend of this program has been warning us about this very thing for a number of years. And I speak, of course, of Joel Skousen, the editor and publisher of the World Affairs Brief, who joins us now here on The Conspiracy Show. Joel, welcome. How are you, my friend?
1: Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Very cold out here. Amazing dip in the jet stream going clear down to Mexico and flooding the entire continent here with cold Canadian air.
0: Well, uh, <laughs> that's our little gift from us to you, Joel. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> uh, so well,
1: you're getting some of your own medicine, of course. You guys always get that air.
0: Yes, we've become acclimatized. Uh <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk a little bit. What can you tell us about this uh, this Jonathan Turley? He was speaking to uh, why. First of all, why was he asked to speak to Congress? And, and uh, give us some insights into who this man is.
1: Well, Jonathan Turley is a, uh, a leftist uh, professor who is a socialist, uh, but he he doesn't appear to be a globalist, uh, and there's a difference. Even though globalists are on the left, uh, they'll play both right and left, but they're essentially, on the left, because they have to promise benefits in order to stay in power like anyone else. But anyone who actually attacks Obama is, uh, you know, from the leftist side is not a globalist, because the globalists know better. They know it, that Obama's a puppet, and it's not his regime. Uh, so Turley is legitimately concerned, though he doesn't have the proper perspective in my estimation. He does legitimately complain that both President Bush and President Obama used signing statements and executive orders that went far beyond uh, the reach or the ability. I mean, uh, clearly his one major sin that he's criticizing Obama for is changing Obamacare with uh, basically altering the law without legislation from Congress. This is an impeachable offense. And the thing that I'm critical of Professor Turley of is he doesn't mention the fact that the real problem is not that these two globalist puppets, one on the right, President Bush, and one on the left, President Obama, uh, are taking executive power. They are not because they're particularly, you know, imbued with the power hunger. You know, this is not Obama trying to turn the country Marxist. Obama converted to becoming a globalist before he was made senator, and he's been on this puppet road. He basically takes orders from national security advisors and domestic security advisors, just like President Bush did. Of course, President Bush's uh, handler was Vice President Acadia, a real born-and-bred globalist who ran the vice presidency with a staff of 600. Normal staff of vice presidents, about 25. But that's what it takes to run the White House from the vice president's office. But the big problem, and my concern, is that neither the Supreme Court or Congress are exercising their powers as part of the separations of powers to call the president to account. And both of them could do so. The Supreme Court could rule very clearly that Obama does not have the power to change law by executive order. And Congress could impeach the president. And there's not a whisper of impeachment. There's no one, even on the right, calling for Obama to be called to account. Uh, And that is an indication that both these other two branches are also uh, capitulating to the globalist agenda. And the globalists are calling the shots from behind the scenes of all three branches of government, not just the president's.
0: Joel Skousen is with us, editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, uh, talking about Jonathan Turley, the uh, liberal lawyer from Georgetown University who was speaking to the House Judiciary Committee uh, earlier in the week or last week, I believe. Uh, a talking warning, sounding the alarms about the expansion of power. Uh, well, you mentioned all three branches. Uh, we're sort of focusing here on the executive branch. Give us a sense of how the executive branch has changed. Let's say, uh, let's dial it back, maybe 40 years uh, to the time when Richard Nixon was uh, was president. Uh, the 37th president. Uh, compare and contrast that with uh, the, the powers of the uh, executive branch under uh, George W. Bush and then uh, President Barack Obama.
1: Well, you know, the, the derailing of the American Constitution was well in, uh, in force and going on under Nixon because he, he was a fairly unstable individual. His presidency was really run by Henry Kissinger, who was a real tide in the world, globalist, who sold out to Vietnam to Red China uh, during the war and uh, sold out China, of course, or Taiwan, free China, uh, to the Red Chinese, uh, gave them a seat on the, on the UN Security Council, which they certainly didn't have to do, even if they were replacing Taiwan, to give another communist branch a veto power in the UN, which is technically not supposed to have any communists in the UN at all. That uh, they've given them significant power in order to create this conflict that they've done. But talking about the president himself, uh, several books have been written talking about how Kissinger did control the presidency, kept him um, drugged up on uppers and downers uh, a good portion of the time in order to make sure that uh, Kissinger could could take power. But Nixon did not, and the globalist had not. Advisors had not caught on to you know using executive power to the extent and part of the reason is because Nixon when he was coherent um, you know was a conservative and, and wasn't and it was resistant to going along so it was different would have been difficult to get him to do the same kind of signing statements uh, uh, and executive orders that they've done with george w bush and uh, and, and Barack
0: Obama. Let, let me just me jump just, in here, Joel. Here. Sorry, let me just yeah. jump in. We'll take a timeout. Come back on the other side. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief. And as we discuss the comments and the testimony, really, of a liberal lawyer Jonathan Turley before the House Judiciary Committee, uh, sounding the alarm, saying that President Barack Obama and the expansion of uh, power, concentration of power in the executive branch, in the Oval Office, is a threat, a real danger to the republic. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us the world is being pulled over your eyes this is the conspiracy show with richard serrett to reach richard call 416-360-0740 and uh, coming up in just a few moments we'll uh, check in with ron Patton a publisher of Paranoia Magazine, and will discuss the government's secret plan to shut off cell phones and the Internet. Right now, Joel an editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, stays with us, talking about the threat to the Constitution, to liberty, uh, presented by the ever-expanding concentration of power in the Oval Office, the executive branch. Joel, uh, before we proceed, tell us how we can subscribe to World Affairs Brief
1: brief is uh, showcased on my website, worldaffairsbrief.com. There is a modest subscription price uh, to get my weekly uh, analysis of the news. But people can get a free sample copy by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. That's editor at worldaffairsbrief.com.
0: Uh, Joel, you were talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about the uh, the lack of checks and balances and how uh, the the president of the United States essentially has become like a Roman Caesar, uh, ru- uh, ruling by uh, edict or. Uh, executive order. And, and you mentioned Obamacare, uh, which, you know, is pretty arcane for for many of us to try. And I mean, how many pages is that uh, document? Uh, tens of thousands of pages. I'm wondering, though, if we could something that 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 everyone can relate to, I think. Uh, and that is uh, the power of the president uh, to assassinate American citizens uh, without due process. I mean, this perhaps this has been going on uh uh secretly but now it's you know it's obviously uh, known to all of us that this that this is going on uh talk to me a little bit about uh, what what's happening uh there i mean is anyone uh launching some sort of a, a i don't know a court challenge or what what's being done about the president's power to assassinate u s citizens wherever because the entire earth has been declared a battlefield wherever he you know he he chooses without due process
1: an eternal battlefield because once you designate the war on terror, a legitimate war against uh, freedom, then everything becomes in a, uh, in a constant state of war, which justifies draconian war powers. And this is much of the underlying basis here. Yes, all of the various uh, denigrations and diminutions of uh, civil rights under the Constitution in America have been challenged by several organizations, not only the ACLU, but the uh, electronic uh, the Freedom Foundation and others, uh, um, you know, public interest law firms, and the courts continue to defer to the government simply in saying, the government says this is a state secret, and so, you know, they don't have to talk to you. They don't have to talk to the courts. The courts aren't forcing anything. The FISA court rubber-stamped uh, the government's position when it was challenged about, uh, you know, spying against Google and Yahoo. Yahoo filed suit with the FISA court. But you see, the FISA court is merely a rubber stamp. They have admitted under NSA spying that they haven't seen any specific information that the government presents nothing to them. They simply tell them what they've got. You can't see it. Take our word for it. And the FISA court says, okay, we'll take your word for it. I mean, this is unconscionable. This is the real crime. It's not that one branch is taking power, it is that the other two are letting them get away with it. And that can only mean one thing, is that they're compromised. And they have, one of the things that NSA spying has done in this country is that they have dirt on almost every congressman out there. And uh, there are a few that are free from that, but it's very difficult for high-powered men to get that far in life without making some mistakes. And the government's been surveilling their telephone calls, making videos, of their lives, their indiscretions, all of their sins, and they blackmail most of these people. My estimate is that they've got direct control over probably 80 to 90 percent of people in Congress and about 98 percent of everybody in the higher levels of the U.S. courts, appellate courts and Supreme courts.
0: Um, I, I use the term soft totalitarianism. Uh, uh, you know, we're not talking about uh, jackboots and brown shirts quite yet. Uh, it's very sm- more subtle, far more sophisticated. Uh, you know, some might say imperceptible uh, unless you happen to be paying attention to the news. But uh, I, I, that's the term I use, soft totalitarianism. How would you describe the, the, the current uh, a system of governance in the United States?
1: Well, in the first place, the Constitution is dead in the United States if you are a dissident. In other words, if you get in the way of government and they target you, You have no rights. Simply pick you up off the street, throw you in prison, don't tell anyone have no rights, solitary confinement, no lawyers, no right to call, no speedy trial, nothing. Now, if they can do that to dozens of Americans who are dissidents, and there are dozens of Americans, it means this government simply doesn't care about the country. They only use it up front to convince people that the rule of law still exists. But when they want to get away with it, they do so with impunity, and the courts will not stop them. And this is one them I have a file that's just hundreds and hundreds of posts long now of folk behavior of policemen in the United States. And examples for the courts, when the victims go before the courts, the courts will say, we're not going to second-guess the police if they say, you know, the, you, they felt you were... But the video shows that there was no threats whatsoever when they paged this person and they slammed the woman who was pregnant to the ground, etc. You know, we're asking the court to make it, and we will not second-guess the police. Well, if you won't second-guess the police, who will? That's the purpose of the courts.
0: You talk about this this nationalization. Sorry, I was just going to say this nationalization of the the police forces, uh, nationalization of large parts of the U.S. economy, um, this um, clamp down on, on on civil rights, suspension of habeas corpus. It does, and I, I, I use the term hesitantly, but it, uh, it sounds Hitlerian. I mean, let's take the, the you know the, the Holocaust and the anti-Semitism aside for a moment, because I don't. We're not talking about that. Uh, but all the other aspects sound like 1930s Germany. Well,
1: they do, uh, Richard. And as I say, you know. In the only difference is that the, uh, because of the man-made crises of the Weimar Republic and the inflationals, they gave government, they gave the chancellor dictatorial powers. The parliament, the Bundestag, gave him the powers. That has not been done in the United States. It's much more sophisticated. It is a matter of the president taking the power, and the Congress and the and the courts letting him get away with it, and protecting him against any and all suits that come up against them. And that's the most discouraging thing, is that they can never run around and say that, you know, we're declaring that NSA spying is legal because, what, the courts have approved it.
0: Uh, Jonathan Turley again uh, speaking to the the House Judiciary Committee warning and this was again a liberal lawyer from uh, you you mentioned he's a socialist a liberal lawyer from Georgetown University one would normally expect to be in the Obama fan club uh, warning the alarms that uh, the president presents the greatest threat to the republic or to certainly to liberty Uh, at that same um, hearing he talked about not only the the expansion of the power in, in the Oval Office, but the the rise of a fourth branch of government. He's talking about these agencies. Uh, we have, for example, um, the IRS, which is which has. I suspect it's been used this way for many years, but now it's become more overt, and that is, it's being used as a political tool, tool to target enemies of the White House, whether it's members of the, the Tea Party or whether it's it's uh, Christian groups and so forth. Uh, are you as worried about that aspect of this concentration of power, with with unelected bureaucrats?
1: Well, remember that these unelected bureaucrats are an extension of the executive branch, so I do not view this as an independent fourth branch that has a life of its own. These branches, in fact, are controlled by the same globalist handlers that control the puppet presidents, like Bush. These are, Obama's not giving the orders to these people. Obama were just as surprised to find out, you know, about them targeting, because they were targeting during the Bush administration and the Reagan administration. I was in Washington during the Reagan administration. And conservative groups were getting audited even under the Reagan administration. And that's because a president doesn't really control the country. It's too big. He has to rely on all of these entrenched uh, people. And uh, it's not just bureaucrats. It's People from the Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, who have got into governments, who stay in government. In fact, they have Team A and B. Team A plays with the Republicans, Team B, but they're both working for the same globalist agenda. And, for example, the EPA is just running rampant around the world. Uh, in the United States, you know, uh, condemning coal and, in the name of global warming, uh, condemning wholesale manufacturing processes and started to impose these taxes and things. And the Supreme Court ruled that like Turley mentioned this, that uh, agencies could actually define their own and interpret their own jurisdiction. So you see, the court is actually letting them get it, giving them a green light. And if Turley were half the lawyer he claims to be, he would have been equally condemning of the Congress who was interviewing him as he would have been the Supreme Court for not doing the job. But it's all too easy to simply talk about the imperial presidency when in fact it's the entire system. And that's why I keep telling conservatives... Uh, Richard, and I said, Obama is not the problem. It's the globalists behind him which give him the orders because they will be controlling Chris Christie when he's the next president and every other president after that. It's the underlying system that is our problem, not the public figureheads, which we think we get rid of and solve the problem.
0: Joel an editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief, is uh, with us. Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, talked about uh, the American citizen's right to alter their government, or uh, even use uh, revolution to overthrow it. Um, I mean, is that in the cards? I mean, how close are we uh, to, to the American citizenry simply saying enough is enough and, and rising up? I mean, is a revolution possible?
1: It isn't until you start to really inconvenience the majority of people. And the government is very slick about not doing that Um, or at least lessening the pressure as soon as it does rise to uh, that level. But, you know, even among conservatives, probably only 20% are strongly enough attached to the Constitution to understand the threats to liberty that they'd be willing to take strong action. And probably only 10% of that 20% would be willing to go to fight for liberty and and revolution. So it's a very small percentage reality, even though we have a strong... uh, Alternative News Network, were very vocal. vocal. But when you look at the masses of people who are relatively satisfied, a majority who votes Democratic now or votes for their benefits, and a large majority who are dissatisfied but wouldn't even come close to threatening their income stream, um, as in the Revolutionary War days, to take strong action against government. You have to have a unified, hostile people who are being threatened by a foreign government, as we did in the revolution against Britain. And it must be unreformable. What happens when it's your own government? And part of our problem in America is we have revered our government who hides behind the shield of law, behind, behind the shield of the Constitution, that we are honoring law. And we believe in the rule of law, and they're just simply lying. They believe in using the rule of law to fool people. But when they want to do something against the rule, they just do it with impunity. Whether it's the killing of citizens, whether it's the denial of a speedy trial, or locking people up in solitary confinement, it happens all the time in America. Now, with the exploitation of uh, people to be tortured elsewhere has happened to your Canadian sister uh, system, uh, Mr. O'Rourke.
0: Yes, in Syria. Um, what right. what will be that unifying force? Uh, what, I look at the situation in Detroit, for example. Here's a country, or here's a city, uh, which is sort of a microcosm for America, completely insolvent. Um, and 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 uh, their unfunded liabilities, they can no longer, you know, deliver uh, pensions to employees. So instead of receiving uh, $100,000, uh, a pensioner will receive maybe $16,000, or if they're getting $50,000, they'll get $8,000. Uh, think about what the what that's going to do to the consumer spending going forward in Detroit. I don't know how that city is going to function going forward. But again, that's kind of a microcosm, I think. Uh, for what lies ahead you know jurisdiction after jurisdiction whether it's Stockton California Chicago next uh, you name it the united states is insolvent is that going to be when those roosters or those when they come home to roost when the roosters come home to roost the chickens come home to roost is that going to be the the unifying force that's going to to uh, uh to get americans thinking about you know just chucking the whole system and starting over
1: well, that's a complex uh, question. The problem is uh, that these people we're dealing with, who are running the system, who control the Fed, who control this money, they can keep this thing limping along with uh, inputs of money as long as they don't exceed 10% uh, inflation rate. And they can keep this thing milking along. And what I fear, though, what I've long projected as a geopolitical strategist, is they're taking us into a third world war, uh, sometime in the next decade, and they'll walk away the heroes. The system will go down because of the war, and they will escape blame. If they were to pull the plug uh, you know, and pull the money supply and the system would come down, yeah, we'd have true insolvency, and they would get the blame. But I think they're too smart for that.
0: All right, Joel, got to cut it there. Always a pleasure at worldaffairsbrief.com to subscribe to your fabulous newsletter. Thanks, Joel. Thank you, Richard. Ron Patton, Paranoia Magazine. Does the Department of Home, Homeland Security have a kill switch? We'll find out. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome back. Uh, this month, the United States District Court for the District of Columbia ruled that the Department of Homeland Security must make its plan to shut off the Internet and cell phone communications available to the American public. Wait, 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 full stop. What's that, you say? The Department of Homeland Security has plans to shut off the Internet and cell phone communications? Uh, wow. <laughs> that's uh, How did that one slip by us, you say? Uh, it's interesting because President Obama, uh, of course, was very vocal when ousted Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak Turned off the Internet in his country in order to quell widespread civil disobedience back in 2011. And now apparently we're finding out the U.S. government has the authority to do the same sort of thing under a plan that was devised during the George W. Bush administration. Uh, Many of the details of this uh, controversial, they're calling it a kill switch, uh, kill switch authority. Uh, Most of the details have been classified such as the conditions under which it can be implemented and how the switch can be used. Uh, But then, thanks to the good old Freedom of Information Act, um, which was filed by the Electronic Privacy Information Center, the Department Department of Homeland Security has to reveal those details. Uh, Originally, it was by December 12th, and I believe they have uh, successfully lobbied the courts, and they now have until January. To reveal their plans for this kill switch authority to the public. Well, here to tell us more about what this kill switch authority is all about is the publisher of Paranoia Magazine, the world's most popular conspiracy journal, Ron Patton. How are you, my friend?
2: Oh, I'm doing pretty well, just getting over a nasty cold, but, uh, it's been great weather here in San Diego.
0: Well, glad to have you with us, Ron. Uh, let's um, let's talk about this uh, this kill switch. I mean, this caught many of us up here, uh, uh, up in the Great White North, by surprise. Uh, and I guess if it weren't for this Freedom of Information Act uh, uh, endeavor uh, by these folks at the Electronic Privacy um, Organization, we wouldn't know anything about this. What, what are you hearing about this kill switch? Is this this isn't a hoax, right? This is legitimate. They're, the Department of Homeland Security wants the ability to shut off all cell phone communication and the internet at their whim
2: Uh, indeed they do it's something that's quite legitimate Um, I was reading about it recently and they actually have a something that's called the standard operating procedure 303 which essentially allows a shutdown and a restoration process for the use by commercial and private wireless networks during uh, a national crisis but you know like a lot of very suspicious things the Department of Homeland does uh, it just sort of like begs the question you know why are they doing this I mean by it, it just doesn't make sense and I think their, their justification from what I've read was so that uh, there's certain types of electronic devices that won't detonate uh, certain type of dirty bombs but you know uh, that's just so outlandish, and it's it's just not very practical at all.
0: Well, this is something uh, we, we would we would tend to think of. Well, we we, we talked about Egypt and how Hosni Mubarak, uh, President Mubarak, did this uh, to, in order to quell sort of the civil uh, uprising back in 2011, uh, mm-hmm. and and the president uh, at that time was very vocal in opposition. And now apparently they're contemplating the same thing. We might even think that they might do this something like this in 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 communist China, um, but not in the United States. I mean, is this even legal?
2: Well, I mean, they, they can definitely make it legal. Um, I think there's uh, the, the Telecommunications Act, which, you know, originally came out in 1934 and then it was amended in 1996. And essentially it gives the, the president the, the ability to shut off the internet or cell phones or any type of... Uh, uh, Wireless um, activity, radios, so forth, under the guise of a national emergency. But um, I personally think it's just sort of a means to uh, just stifle communication between citizens when there is civil unrest or when there's something that comes down under the guise of national security.
0: All right, Ron. I think
2: uh... A lot of, and I'm finding that. Um, a lot of people are are also feeling
0: the same sentiment. All right, Ron, stay with us. We'll take a timeout, come back. Ron Patton, publisher of Paranoia Magazine, as we talk about the Department of Homeland Security's plan for a kill switch uh, authority, which has been so far classified. We'll find out about it next month, exactly what that entails. But will the Department of Homeland Security actually exercise this authority to shut off cell phone and internet communication when they deem it necessary. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show after this. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarah Welcome back. Ron Patton is with us, the publisher of Paranoia Magazine. Ron, before we proceed, how can folks get their hands on uh, one of your delicious magazines? Well, they
2: can go to www. ParanoiaMagazine.com, and uh, right now we have our fall issue out, and I'm presently working on the uh, winter 2014 issue. But, yeah, just go to ParanoiaMagazine.com, and I also want to inform you and, and the listeners that I just recently opened up a conspiracy store here in San Diego, and it's the only conspiracy store on the West Coast that I'm aware of. So. Ah, well,
0: Congratulations. Uh,
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm selling magazines, books, uh, T-shirts, etc. So I'm really excited about it.
0: All right. Well, good luck with that. So back to the kill switch. Um, You mentioned uh, that um, this is not anything new, in fact, uh, the idea of the U.S. sort of assuming control over communications. You mentioned uh, 1934, I think it was, President Roosevelt signed the Communications Act, uh, which allowed the president, uh, this power, I guess, if there existed war or a threat of war. Uh, right. And you can imagine, you know, why, uh, for example, if if someone on the West Coast had a, a shortwave radio or, and they were communicating with the enemy and so forth, this could, could pose a problem. Uh, so one, one could almost see some rationale for it. And before that, in, in fact, in 1918, apparently, there was a congressional joint resolution. It allowed the president to assume control over the U.S. telegraph system. So that was sort of a precursor to this. But... Um, you were mentioning that the, the the cell phone could be used, a, a particular channel could be used to set off some sort of a dirty bomb or whatever. How, how would that work?
2: Um, I really don't quite understand the uh, technicalities behind it, but uh, apparently if there is a certain type of frequency that's um, used by a cell phone or another type of electrical device, it can easily... Detonate any type of bomb, or you know what they refer to as uh, dirty bombs. Um, So has that occurred a lot throughout the world? I don't believe so. Um, I haven't really heard that, you know, being a a really big issue or big problem per se. But my um, gut feeling is it's just simply an, an excuse to have you know, more powers over the citizens and, again, trying to constrain their ability to communicate with one another, especially if we do have civil unrest in, in uh, under any type of scenario, whether it's something that's a natural disaster or something that's man-made.
0: Uh, shutting down the cell phone systems, to me, would seem, you know, relatively simple compared to the internet let's but in order to do that uh the the uh the government the united states the department of homeland security what have you would have to have some sort of agreement with the the all the major telecom companies would they not
2: um i believe so but i i think that's been you know been going on actually for several years especially with uh Verizon and uh, you know the National Security Agency and uh, you know other other uh, municipalities and, and bureaucracies. So it's actually been they've been in collusion with one another for a while, and uh, you know they've also been running these like test models too, in case you know certain scenarios take place where. The, uh, you know, I think we talked about this a few months ago. What it happens if the electric grid um, goes down? Yes. Um, so I think this is something that's very relevant to that. Um, so there's also something, I believe it's called uh, Section 706 of, of this uh, Presidential Act. And so, essentially, it's a war emergency act. So if the president deems it necessary in the interest of national security, he can suspend or amend um, any rules for any of the stations or devices capable of emitting these electromagnetic, electromagnetic radiation. And that's within, again, that set spectrum, whatever that frequency might be.
0: What, well, let's talk about the Internet, because to me that would seem maybe a little more difficult to to, uh, to shut that off, or would it? I mean, is there's not one uh, sort of red button, you know, uh, easy button, a kill switch that can shut off the Internet, I'm guessing. I mean, how would that happen?
2: Well, I mean, you look at all the, the different Internet providers, you know, that are out there, and I'm sure that uh, uh, there's been... A lot of the, the different government agencies, especially Homeland Security and the, the National Security Agency, um, you know, they've been working with, uh, let's say, um, businesses like Google, for instance. And I think a lot of people realize that, uh, you know, what's going on out in Utah with the National Security Agency and Google and Adobe and, you know, they're all working basically um, in concert with one another. So I don't think it would really be that difficult to shut down all those different, you know, Internet providers.
0: One has to ask, As though, uh, whether it's – let's for, for a moment uh, presume that there is some sort of a, 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 a threat to the United Mm -hmm. States, uh, a terror threat or um, Mm -hmm. someone they they suspect is going to set off a dirty bomb or uh, launch an EMP attack and shut down the grid. It would seem to me uh, that an Internet kill switch, for example, could do more harm than good. I mean, consider the amount of of infrastructure that is Internet dependent. The infrastructure runs on the Internet. So, uh, I mean, (laughs) aren't you going to do more harm than good?
2: Well, my belief is that a lot of these different agencies have already set up their own uh, communication systems. So it really wouldn't be detrimental to them. It would be more, again, detrimental to um, the public who utilize these type of services to communicate with one another. So I know for a fact that um Department of Homeland Security has been setting up their own communication systems as well as other agencies. So, I think uh, no, I don't think that would uh, curtail their you know ability to be uh, able to respond to emergency situations at all. Uh,
0: and and uh, cell phones. I mean, we all we all can appreciate how cell phones are, are valuable in times of, of crisis. Uh, so, cutting that off. Uh, i would think would be potentially very dangerous maybe not to uh, to the government and those working for the government at that level but certainly to the ordinary citizen not to have a cell phone in a time of crisis uh, well, would be would I, and, be terrible and even
2: and and even um, let's say um, law enforcement in general i don't know if they have that infrastructure that's already set up to be able to do that my personal feeling it's the, the larger agencies, again, like uh, Department of Homeland Security, um, National Security Agency, FBI, CIA, you know some of the major ones um, but let's say are are just our regular municipalities. i They're the ones that are really going to suffer if there is indeed a a, a crisis out there.
0: I was just reading here on uh, an article on Mother Jones online. Uh, that in 2005, shortly after suicide bombers attacked the London Tube, federal authorities in the United States disabled cell networks in four major New York tunnels. The action was reportedly taken to prevent bomb detonation via cell phone. And according to the National Security Telecommunications Advisory Committee review, it was undertaken without prior notice to wireless carriers or the public. So they do have that uh, capability and they have used it before. So this kill switch is real. Uh, but I, I would imagine, though, that if the De- Department of Homeland Security uh, has some sort of a kill switch, it would be far more grand in scale. They'd, they'd be they'd be thinking about something on a national scale, I'm guessing.
2: Right. And I think um, that particular scenario you were talking about was simply just sort of a – they were just running sort of a test model to see actually how the response would be. And, uh, you know, that was obviously on a limited basis. But uh, – Again, if, if this does take place and there is this Internet kill switch that does come about uh, and comes about unabated, um, it could be very devastating for uh, a lot of us.
0: And, and what happens to things like the First Amendment, for crying out loud? I mean, if you've got uh, a government agency like the Department of Homeland Security with no other oversight, there's no court you know, uh, in in the loop here where you can appeal, uh, if this is all being done in secret, and they're cutting off the Internet, which is obviously uh, a wonderful form to exercise the First Amendment. I mean, what happens to that?
2: Well, I mean, they can do any of this kind of stuff under the auspices of the National Security Act. And so, um, you know, again, they can either create... (laughs) A false flag operation to, to make this happen, and I don't think it's going to be something that's. Uh, I think it will happen. Um, when it's going to happen, it's hard to say, but I think it's going to be just for a limited basis. You know, it's a process of gradualism. They can't just do something like that overnight and just shut down the internet and for an indefinite period of time. But I think there are going to be intermittent um periods where the internet will be shut off for different reasons um and so we'll just see basically how it plays out
0: I mean are you My, frightened by this prospect are you worried about this prospect that the department of homeland security will have this kill switch
2: well of course i am i mean like for myself personally i mean i utilize the internet to be able to do a lot of research and uh you know, it's a it's a major part of my business to be able to to correspond with my writers and other researchers. So, uh, but I think overall, it's just going to be devastating for um, you know a lot of people um, for different reasons.
0: Well, and, uh, hopefully in January, uh, according to this uh, the District Court of Columbia, uh, this court order. The DHS has to reveal details of this kill switch authority uh, sometime in January, so we'll know then, um, you know exactly what, uh, how they intend to use it, why, under what circumstances they will use it. Uh, not that uh, I suspect that's going to let us, uh, you know, rest any easier. I think it's going to be pretty frightening either way. Right,
2: um, and uh, I guess for myself personally, after I've kind of researched this, it just seems like well, if these Particular agencies can develop their own communication systems. Why can't um, citizens like ourselves develop our own networks or what they call peer-to-peer networks? It's almost like pirate-type networks. Um, And, you know, the ham operators have been doing something like this for years and years. But to me, that might be, um, you know, a possibility. Is it something that's practical? Maybe not too practical, but I think there are going to be some individuals that will have the ability to basically put up their own towers or utilize towers and set up their own uh, communication systems that are not connected to the Internet.
0: All right, Ron. Well, we'll look forward to, uh, to finding out more when this all comes down in January. And in the meantime, thanks so much for your time tonight. Ron Patton, publisher of Paranoia Magazine. Thank you, my friend.
2: I thank you so much, Richard. Have a good evening.
0: Have a good evening. A kill switch. Well, uh, whoever was responsible for shutting down my website, uh, congratulations, but uh, it'll be short-lived, a short-lived victory. Uh, We are working fast and furiously, as as, as fast as humanly possible, to get richardserat.com back up and running, new and improved. In the meantime, you can say hello on Twitter, at Richard and as always, follow the truth.